Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. You know, I've commented on a lot of different topics over the years on this channel and I always comment on things that I feel uh, are important. And whether you agree with me or not, it's okay. You don't have to agree with me about everything. Um, I put out content mostly about Scientology and cult-related activities, but I can't help but comment on other social issues and situations as they come up. And if that means that we're going to have uh, such a problem because I dare to express my opinion about things that I feel very strongly about, then this channel's probably not for you. And I'm really sorry about that because I try to present information in a, you know, as reasonable and, and factual way as I know how to. And I realize that I don't know everything. And I realize that uh, that I have things to learn, and over the years as this channel has progressed, I have demonstrated that by changing my mind about things, by becoming a little less um, extreme about certain things in terms of my, some of my political views and that sort of thing. But this is, in the end, my channel, and I will talk about anything and everything that I want to. And if, you know, if that bothers you for some reason, then this channel is probably not for you. Uh, that being said, uh, I do have some good news that I wanted to uh, lead off with uh, before we get into answering your questions, and that is um, these just arrived uh, today, <laughs> yesterday, sorry, in, uh, in the mail, and I'm sending these things out. These are invitations to my wedding this year. Uh, it is happening in May, and I am very, very, very excited about that. A lot of you have been along uh, the journey here with me and saw me propose to my fiance, Melissa, and uh, that's, that's her right there. And uh, I could not be a luckier, happier person uh, right now. And there's a lot of planning going on and, a lot, and some of my time is going to that, understandably so. So you've seen some more videos in the last uh, month or two of me sitting here talking to you rather than you know doing the whole backdrop and the graphics and all that stuff. And that is one of the reasons why is because my time has been a little uh, tight lately. Um, but uh, you will see more in uh, very soon with the Basics of Scientology series and with other things too. So anyway, I'm trying to keep the content high quality and keep it coming out every week uh, while I get all these other things in my life dealt with too. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get on with your questions now. Travis, recently you posted a video about the effects of Anonymous's 2008 protest at the Church of Scientology. In that video, you mentioned that if it weren't for the work of Anonymous, that you would have never been able to make it as far as you have in exposing the ills of Scientology. Would you please explain this a little more in depth, please? What would have happened to you had you started speaking out if there had been no Anonymous? What do you think that you would be doing now? Do you think that the Anonymous protests can be seen as the tipping point in Scientology's death spiral? This is a tough question. These are tough questions because I'm not exactly sure how things would have moved out or progressed if Anonymous had not come on the scene in 2008. Um, I absolutely said and, and will stand by the statement that Anonymous was absolutely a tipping point uh, because they brought international recognition to the uh, abuses and, uh, and ridiculousness, both of the uh, Church of Scientology and of the human rights abuses and financial crimes and, 
and that sort of thing that it's been engaged in for so long. Had they not done that, Scientology would have continued and, and does continue to a lesser degree though, but still, they still do do this, but they would have continued it with full force to have gone after each individual specific critic of Scientology who comes out on YouTube or on media or on a blog or anything like that. Anonymous really, really leveled the playing field in a lot of ways, um, mainly because they were so large, such a mass of people coming at Scientology all at once that Scientology's policies of bullying down and, and beating down and destroying utterly any critic of Scientology simply couldn't be executed. Uh, it was just unrealistic because there were just too many people. Scientology couldn't find out who all these people were because they had masks on and they were taking a metro rail or a bus. They weren't driving their cars so that Scientology could collect their license plate numbers. So, uh, so it truly was an anonymous protest. And that overwhelmed their ability to fight back or do, or do their usual standard operating procedure. Um, as a result of that, they were put also into a public light that they had never experienced before. The protests went on for years. There were massive, the big ones were at the beginning, but they continued. And these large groups of people kept coming out to individual churches and disrupting their activities and protesting loudly in front of them. And, and it was great. I mean, it really was a, a, a brilliantly executed um, strategy, you know. Um, but when I talk about leveling the playing field, I mean that because of all of the exposure, Scientology suddenly was in a spotlight, so much so that it couldn't continue to carry out the same level of fair game activities against critics um, so openly. You know, they're very, the Scientology is a bully. Right, it's kind of a third-grade bully, and that they, you know, will 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 catch you when the teacher's not around, beat you up, and then claim that you know nothing happened, they didn't do anything. Right, that was their old way of of going about doing things. If they ever got uh, caught or had you know the uh, government or legal forces or whatever got involved, uh, or they would just litigate you to death uh, in in the court system, which was another policy of the church. Right, they just like keep going after you. Uh, again, they couldn't do that with Anonymous. And so once the light of truth was kind of shown on Scientology in such a glaring manner, it couldn't really as effectively use its, its same old, same old tactics. Um, and so what you saw after Anonymous was you saw those tactics implemented on, a, on very specific people for very specific uh, reasons, uh, mainly that David Miscavige was personally irate and and uh, vindictive towards Marty Rathman, Mike Rinder specifically, right? They had worked for and with him for years, so it was personal when he went after them, when he had P.I. stalking them and, and six or seven months of, of the squirrel busters outside Rathman's house. I mean, that was, that was pretty crazy, and that was all post-anonymous. Um, but that, that was the sort of thing that had Anonymous not happened, I and other critics who have, you know, come out on YouTube or come out in the public would have received, right? And I had set up my life when I first started speaking out uh, so that I was ready for something like that. I wasn't ready for squirrel busters. I mean, I don't know what anybody would be ready for something like that, but I was ready for retaliation.
uh, I, you know, I set things up uh, with the job that I had at the time and with my life and with my friends and everything that they knew that something could happen and we kind of expected it to. And when nothing did, well, that was totally fine with me. You know, I'm not in this to uh, be a martyr or to, you know, be attacked by Scientology. That's not why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, but we were kind of ready for it. But had that happened, um, my life would be different. I mean, I would have, you know, I don't know, I don't know how. I just know that uh, I probably wouldn't have been so keen to continue doing what I'm doing. Um, and I, I probably would have had some things to say, which I would have done, like the first set of videos I did laying out what's wrong with Scientology and, and following up on that with the organizational structure, you know, my early videos, right? I probably would have gotten those out anyway. Um, but I don't know that I would have moved into doing this YouTubing as a uh, full-time occupation, right? This was the result of you guys. I mean, I got so much positive feedback and, and commentary and so many questions and so much interest in what I was doing from you guys that that's why I, you know, moved into doing this the way that I do. And, um, and of course, you know, I, I really like what I do. So, uh, so it, it's, you know, it works out both ways. Um, but I imagine that if they had really wanted to come after me, uh, they could have. I mean, they, Scientology certainly has the money and the resources to, uh, to squash somebody like me. Um, and they, they, you know, they could have done that, I guess. But they're not doing that because uh, it's a little dangerous for them to do that now. And Anonymous was absolutely the place where that started. Um, you know, which is not, as I've always said, that does not invalidate the work of the earlier than anonymous critics. It, it validates that because anonymous couldn't have happened if they hadn't been around. Arnie Lerma, Tori Magoo, Jerry Armstrong, Bob Mitten, the, the Lisa McPherson Trust, so many people, Jesse Prince, I mean, uh, Mark, uh, Headley, I think, was pre uh, was was speaking out. Not, I don't think, under his own name, though. But by the t by the time Anonymous came out, but but so many people, so many people. Uh, I I know I have not named a bunch of them, but um, but that was necessary in order for Anonymous to happen at all. So it was a progression of things. But I definitely say uh, that it was the tipping point. So. You know, I, it's just a, there's a lot of conjecture here in this answer. I know this isn't like totally satisfying as an, as an answer, but it's kind of the best I can do because I don't know what would have happened. I just know that it could have been really ugly for me and for other critics who have come out since. Um, and I'm glad that it wasn't. And I know and have uh, said many times that I owe a great debt to Anonymous and to all the people who have come before me. Mr. Marathon, 1989. You say that Scientologists believe that you control what happens to you, or that you pulled it in. But Scientology blames its bad reputation on Big Pharma, evil psychs, and SPs. Does David Miscavige pull these groups in because of what he did in a prior life? No, this is really great. This is one of those huge points of cognitive dissonance in Scientology that I thought would be worth commenting on because it is such a gigantic contradiction. Scientologists do believe, like you asked in your question, in this idea of personal responsibility and that you are always responsible for your own condition, no matter what it is. And this is spiritually, right? And, um, you know, they, if they don't, 
you know, Scientologists aren't so callous and so incompassionate that, you know, if a, if a baby was born, uh, you know, with, a, with an illness of some kind, they wouldn't go, <laughs> right? I mean, it's not that bad, okay? Uh, they would go, wow, that's, Jesus, that really sucks. But they'd be thinking, I wonder what that guy did in his last life or his last or whatever to pull that in, okay? That's kind of how it, how it manifests. Um, so they really do think that. And yet they also really think that there is a concerted effort on the part of psychiatry and big pharma and governments and uh, the media to take Scientology out. And they label that consortium of evil uh, suppressive people. They say they're suppressive, right? Either suppressive groups or suppressive individuals. And, they, and that is um, supposed to be a very small minority of the population, you know, 2.5%. Uh, depending on how you read Hubbard's works, it could be 2.5% of the total population or 2.5% of 20% of the population or something. It's, it's a little vague, but generally we went with 2.5% of the population are suppressive. Just outright evil, trying to stop things, trying to destroy anybody who's trying to help. And that is, so these two things kind of, and oh, and, and by the way, those people are responsible for their own condition too, right? They've done bad, bad, bad things in the past that caused them to be the way that they are. Uh, there's other things connected to why SPs are the way they are too, but, and I've explained that in earlier Q&A videos if you're interested. But, um, but the bottom line is these two things both kind of exist at the same time. So Scientology has these external threats that are coming at it, and yet you also have, well, you're responsible for your own condition. The one group that this doesn't apply to is Scientology. The one person this doesn't apply to is David Miscavige, right? Or earlier, L. Ron Hubbard. Now, of course, some Scientologists would see Hubbard and would think that he you know, when he was sick or when he was this or that or he was having a bad day or whatever, uh, you know, they saw through some of his shenanigans. Not everybody is, you know, blinded by the light of, of L. Ron Hubbard in Scientology. They're varying, it's a spectrum of belief, right? Uh, and it's been that way since day one. Some people could see through Hubbard's nonsense, but they still thought he had discovered some good things, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but bottom line is these two things kind of have to exist at the same time. And it's a, um, it's kind of a, it, it's kind of a, you know, one of the miracles of our, uh, of human thought is that we can hold two completely contrary ideas in our head at the same time and make them make sense. And it's far from just Scientology or destructive cults that this happens in, right? Um, I don't quite get it yet. <laughs> I'd like to get it better. I'd like to figure that out. I'd like to understand how it is that, that our, our logic circuits are put together, however they are, that we can do that. Because, you know, the way we think would drive a computer absolutely insane. Uh, so I'm not sure why we developed this way or how, but, um, but I thought it was worth commenting on that we do and that Scientologists definitely do, and they will hold these two ideas in their head that there's these evil external forces that are not, that are not Scientology's responsibility. But perhaps they would think to themselves that Scientology is pulling it in to the degree that Scientology is successful, 
okay? And I think I read earlier in that, uh, in that video about signs of success and how Scientologists believe that when they're succeeding is when the enemy attacks, right? So the degree they're succeeding, they pull in this bad stuff, right? But it's not because they're doing bad things, it's because they're doing good things, right? So again, this is sort of, you know, I guess this all kind of makes sense in some kind of way, but none of these rules are really totally absolute. They're kind of squishy <laughs> rules, and that's how Scientologists make sense of it. Katrine Barrett, what are the grease pits, and what is a Category B EPF program? Hey, thanks for this question. I'm sure you heard of grease pits on some social media platform or something. I don't think I've ever talked about them before, but uh, on the uh, Big Blue, in the Big Blue buildings uh, in Los Angeles, there is a, there's a galley, there's a kitchen area. It's big. Uh, you used to service the, the hospital facility, the Cedars-Sinai complex, and now it makes food for a thousand some odd people who work there in Big Blue and also down the street at the Hollywood Guarantee Building on uh, Hollywood Boulevard. So um, those, uh, that galley has grease pits in it, right? Like literally pits where grease collects or where, you know, unpleasant things <laughs> collect and have to be cleaned out and it gets pretty messy. It's industrial strength, you know, <laughs> grease and stuff. Uh, and so as one of the, you know, kind of a gruesome sort of form of discipline, they would have people go clean those, those grease pits. Uh, that's, that's what they are. Um, and as far as the Category B EPF, I made a video about the EPF and I actually was going to talk about Category B, but I think I ran out of time when I was making that video. Category A EPF is the boot camp EPF. It's where people newly arriving into the Sea Org come and do the, the, the physical labor and, and do the courses and get through the program and are now new, fresh Sea Org members. Um, category B is for people who are already in the Sea Org. They've gone through the poll EPF. They've gone through, you know, however many months or years of Sea Org experience, but for some reason they are found, usually in a disciplinary manner, to be lacking in their Sea Org basics. They are mouthing off, they're not getting their job done, maybe their birthing is a disgusting mess, maybe they're not taking care of themselves. Whatever, for whatever reason it is that they are found to be out basics, so to speak, they are um, run back through this, the EPF. They're just taken off their post and put back on the EPF, but they're basically retreading it. So they have to do the same program. They have to do the, the physical work, but the study part of their program is tailored to whatever basics it is that they missed or have to redo or go over again. Um, and, and that could include other courses or study or even auditing or, or security checking, you know, the inter in interrogatories, uh, could be part of their Category B program before they'll be put back into the Sea Org proper and back onto a job or post. So um, I saw guys put back on Category B um, at different times. It was also used as an excuse to transfer people illegally. You know, when somebody's on a post in the Sea Org, it's policy that they be left alone to just do their job. And, and there shouldn't be what Hubbard calls musical chairs, where people are just 
ripped from one job to another based on necessity or need. You're supposed to recruit more people rather than just musical chair people around. But the people who, who decide when somebody goes to the category B EPF are the personnel, the, the human resources people uh, in, in so many words. And, um, and those guys are sometimes, uh, when they're faced with you know, a, a problem of I have to post somebody on this new job or on this, on this suddenly hot you know, emergency situation job that has to get filled, uh, they might look around and go, oh, well, Joe could do it. Okay, well, I'm going to take Joe and say his basics are out and throw him back on the EPF and get him through his Category B EPF in a couple days. And then I'm going to transfer him to this job, right? I saw that happen more than a couple times. So it can, it, it has been used in, um, you know, sort of uh, roundabout ways within the Sea Org to get things done or solve certain problems also. So there you go. Cosmic Portals. Scientology is trying to open up a new Narconon Center in Ireland. There has been a lot of Scientology activity in Ireland recently. I heard more about it on the radio today and basically the whole country is outraged. Would Scientology think they have a chance here? I know for a fact they do not. People of all ages are aware of them, but it sure seems they are pushing to open more buildings in my home country. Do you think I should be concerned? I am definitely not the only one. Oh yeah, you should definitely be concerned. Uh, Scientology looks like it's setting up camp in Ireland in a pretty big way, not only with a Narconon Center, but a new ideal organization to, to service Ireland, even though there is zero demand, as you noticed, uh, in your, noted in your question. Um, and there have been a lot of protests uh, there, and I think there should be more, uh, because that's really the only way to raise public awareness uh, so that people, you know, more people join and get Scientology, you know, not out of there. Um, unfortunately, Scientology has a whole lot of money and a whole lot of influence, and they're not afraid to use it. And for some reason, they've decided that setting up a base camp in Ireland is a really good idea. I think personally that it's all because of uh, taxes. And I think that they might seriously be considering uh, moving headquarters or money uh, operations to Ireland. They've had a long history there. I mean, Hubbard went there in 56 or 57 and, and figured out, you know, how to get new people into Scientology. I mean, that's, that's some of the work that he did there back in the day. And they set up corporations there or trusts, blind trusts or something. I, I, somebody explained it to me, but I don't really understand all the financial terms, so I'm not even going to try to say I'm, I'm coming up with the right words, but, um, but they did set up financial bases there and uh, for the purpose of, of holding on to or transferring or moving money around. So that's another reason Ireland is hot for Scientology. And uh, that's about all the conjecture I can give on it. But what I can say for sure is, yes, you should be concerned and you should be uh, joining up with any other protesters in that area uh, or doing whatever you can to uh, fight back against it, because once Scientology gets a foothold, they don't let go, uh, period. Like now that they're there, getting them out of there is going to be a Herculean task. Bjorn de la Cour. One of the big gripes I always had when I was in Scientology was that they could never be in a lower condition towards you, no matter how deserving of that lower condition they were. 
is their policy on this? What do you think it would look like if the church actually attempted to do the lower conditions towards the public? Do you think it could actually garner them some good PR? Alright, well being in lower conditions is a Scientology term that basically means you're in hot water or you're in a lot of trouble. And the conditions are steps that are taken in order to get out of that trouble or, or make up the damage for what somebody has done that got them in trouble in the first place. Basically making amends is what Bjorn is asking about here. And uh, Scientology never acknowledges, or very, very, very rarely acknowledges its mistakes, okay? Um, and never in a broad public way, ever. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Um, but they will uh, insist that the individual Scientologist is the one who's to blame or did something wrong or is a criminal or is in lower conditions or whatever the excuse or rationale is in order to blame them for whatever wrong occurred to them or with them uh, that Scientology perpetrated. This is uh, victim blaming uh, taken to, to a science. That is what Scientology, and that is actually what all destructive cults do. This is a, this is a key characteristic of all destructive cults, is they are blameless. You are the one who is fully responsible for uh, whatever wrongs you feel have been done to you. You weren't strong enough in faith. You didn't apply the right tools. You didn't do the right methods or techniques or you didn't follow the right policies or whatever the excuses that they're going to lay on you, it's always going to be on you. I have said and, and uh, will certainly say again that yes, if Scientology were to change that attitude and uh, acknowledge that they have committed gross human rights abuses, sexual violations, financial crimes, I mean if they were to really come clean on that and acknowledge the errors of the past and try to make amends or reparations for that in some public way, that would be huge. Would it fix everything? No, it wouldn't. Not at all. Uh, would it change any of the goofy beliefs? No, of course not. Uh, but Scientology isn't a destructive cult because of its weird beliefs. It's a destructive cult because of the abuses. And um, and so it's it's in the as I've said, it's in the DNA of Scientology to be the way that it is and to continue to be the way that it is and eventually destroy itself because of, of how it is. So I don't predict or see any change when it comes to Scientology owning what it's done or what it's responsible for organizationally. This is not really in the cards because they don't, they don't even think that way. You know, all the policies, and there are very explicit policies by Hubbard, that you do not um, own up to mistakes that have been made, right? You just don't do that. And uh, even when auditing is found to have been done badly or, or wrongheadedly by a bad auditor, a person who received that bad auditing, they might say, yeah, that auditor didn't do the greatest of work, and they might give one free repair session to that person to fix whatever they feel was wrong. But if that one session or maybe two sessions doesn't do it, you're going to pay for the rest of the repair, right? They're not going to just give it to you. And this was something I used to hands-on uh, fight about and, and work on when I was in the church because I ran into some people who had been wronged pretty pretty badly. I mean, they got hours and hours and hours of really crappy auditing. 
Uh, I mean, you could say all auditing's crappy, but I mean, in the, in the context of Scientology, it was crappy. And, uh, and we, you know, I could, only, I could only get away with giving so many free sessions or hours away to such a person before the, the policy would kick in that, you know, nope, gotta, gotta pay for it, right? And uh, there you go. So that's, that's how that works. And it is time for Flash Answers. Michelle Ray. Hi Chris, love your channel. When a person completes OT8, what do they do next? Wonder, I spent all my money for this? Help others reach OT8? Well, those are two things that they do. Uh, other things they do is they leave the church. <laughs> other things they do is they carry on in the church. They do training. There's a whole boatload of uh, classes and, and auditor training and stuff that people can do. I've laid all those out in my Basics of Scientology series. And of course, sometimes they die. I mean, there have really only been about a thousand or two OT8s over the years, as far as I know. And uh, so we're talking about a very small group of people. Um, and, you know, they get on to training. There's a lot of classes they can do and that sort of thing. But bottom line is um, a lot of them end up leaving the church. That, for that much I know for sure. But the, what's expected of them is that they will get more people into Scientology and that they will train. Tita Mia. In the Joe Rogan Experience number 908, Leah Remini said she went to the internet to look for the OT materials before she did OT3 and didn't know what to make of it. Doesn't that bar her from doing any OT level afterwards? From what I have seen researching confidential material, especially from outside sources, disqualifies a person from the upper levels. How was she able to continue? Do donations have something to do with it? Also, don't PCs sign something saying they're not allowed to tell others what the OT levels are about, or they have to pay a certain amount of money for everyone they told? Is this only enforced if they are in the church, or can they be sued if they break that agreement? If this is so, why Remini hasn't been sued for talking about confidential material like BTs? Okay, a couple pieces of information on this. One, uh, celebrities are always the exception to the rules, and I have laid out uh, that, yeah, you do not get onto the OT levels if you've been insecure uh, with OT material or advanced material by looking at it on the internet beforehand. But a celebrity, it's a whole different picture. Okay, celebrities are in the public spotlight, celebrities have a lot of money, a lot of influence, and Scientology isn't just going to kick them out because uh, Leah was, you know, a little incautious on the internet. Uh, and as far as the um, second part of your question, uh, yeah, she could have been sued, but look what happened to Debbie Cook. That didn't turn out so well for Scientology. So they're not so into suing people for uh, contractual violations anymore. El Bunchio. What is a Scientologist supposed to do if they hear anything about a higher OT level than the one they are on? Did you hear anything about a higher level when you were in? Most of the time they don't recognize that they've heard something about a higher level because they're not familiar with it, they haven't seen it yet, they don't know anything about what's on the higher levels. And they'll generally, will, if they do hear something like that, they'll either kind of freak out a little bit or assume that what they're hearing or seeing isn't really true. Uh, this was the line used for a very long time about Xenu and South Park and the material that's on the internet is that it's not really the true information that's on the actual OT levels. So that's a line Scientology uses. And no, I never was exposed to any upper level material when I was uh, in Scientology until I got 
on the internet in my later years, but I never got onto the OT levels when I was in Scientology, so that was never really a question for me. Okay, everybody, that is the show for this week. I hope you found this informative, interesting, and educational um, and entertaining. Uh, please come around again next week and consider joining me on Patreon if you find this work of use to you and you want to keep me doing it. Uh, Patreon is the best way to go about doing that, or you can use the uh, PayPal donate button. Thank you very much for coming around, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.